Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Got a lot of interesting things to talk to you all about in this episode of the show. More things, in fact, that I can cram into this little introduction here. But to give you an idea, we're going to be talking about dissociation a little bit. This is a topic that come up in the Last Symptom Online community here recently, and I promised I would talk about it soon. Also, have you ever tried to make somebody else feel bad because of how his or her preferences were different from your preferences? Or maybe you haven't done this to anybody else, but you've been on the receiving end of it. Somebody's tried to do that to you. What's that all about? We're going to talk about it. And like I say, a bunch of other really interesting things I want to cram into this episode. But first we have to do the disclaimer and the show music, so stick around. I'll be right back. I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Well, folks, it's really nice to have you back here with me again this week, and uh, hope you've all been doing well. I've been doing a lot of reading, getting, doing a lot of work, and uh, been involved in a lot of different projects. Today I was reading about something I, I was somewhat familiar with before, having lived in Pennsylvania for a long time, but uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania. Have any of you heard about Centralia, Pennsylvania? Now, we have talked about this in the past. I told you it's all about the graffiti highway that used to exist there. It's, it's a ghost town, and there was a, a full highway system there, abandoned, and you could go and explore that and everything. I, I don't think it exists anymore. I think they've covered it all over. But this Centralia, Pennsylvania, continues to be a fascinating topic to me because it's one of the most spectacular examples of people creating a problem and then continually making things worse with each attempt to fix the problem. So if you've ever doubted that we as human beings have limits, that um, some things truly are beyond, beyond our ability to, to manage, well then you need to look up Centralia, Pennsylvania. It's spelled C-E-N-T-R-A-L-I-A. In 1962, a fire started in a landfill there. And that is an interesting topic, too, because I was reading about this earlier today. Because the area is so uh, full of coal, and there are so many coal mines, were so many coal mines in that area, before they set this landfill on fire, they had the fire department come and coat the whole bottom of this thing 
with something to protect the fire and the flames from the possibility of reaching any of the coal underneath the ground. So then they, they set this landfill on fire. It burns and everything, and the smoke keeps, keeps coming up out of there. So they keep having the fire department come by to take a look, look at it. And um, they, they get down into the bottom of the, the landfill. They move a bag. There's an old bag down there, you know, full of trash or something. There was some kind of object down on the bottom. They move it out of the way, and they see that the, this stuff that they had used to coat the entire inside of this big ditch or whatever it was, they had missed a spot. And because they missed a spot, what they did was they, they accidentally lit the underground coal on fire. That fire has now been burning since 1962. They have spent millions of dollars to try to contain, control, put out that fire. And after millions and millions of dollars and who knows how many man hours, they've just given up on it. Gave up on the whole town. It's just this entire abandoned town out there in the middle of Pennsylvania called Centralia. They even had uh, ventilation shafts installed. Now, this is a big deal because what happens is that because of all the fires burning underground with the coal and everything, people who were living in that area were having toxic fumes come up through their basements and uh, people were actually passing out. They were at risk of being poisoned to death because of this stuff. And on another occasion, there was this boy, I can't remember how old he was, but this happened, I think, like back in the 60s, where he was playing uh, around Centralia and the, the ground just collapsed underneath of him. He managed to grab a hold of a tree root and keep himself from falling in this hole, but the hole was extremely deep full of toxic fumes that would have killed him if he would have been hanging on that tree root for much longer than he did. Whole homes are at risk of collapsing into the ground because of these things. But my point about all this is that these people have spent, the government, it says by by 1983, this is by 1983, not 1993, not currently, by 1983, Pennsylvania had already spent more than $7 million trying to put out the fire with no success. The federal government appropriated $42 million to purchase Centralia. Think about the, these amounts in modern terms. Do you know what $7 million back in 1980 it probably represents today? A whole lot more. According to this article I'm looking at to... Uh, on allthatsinteresting.com fewer than five people still live in Centralia experts estimate there's enough coal underneath Centralia to fuel the fire for another 250 years there was a movie that was inspired by this real life place called Silent Hill back in 2006 a horror movie And it's just a fascinating example of people creating a problem in the first place and then incompetently with every decision just making the situation worse and worse and worse 
it's it's the Titanic of stories like that. Before I started recording tonight's show, I was watching YouTube. I was watching this channel called The Behavior Panel. I love these guys. You know, I don't recommend a lot of other voices on the subjects of things we talk about because I just can't. Uh, but if I were going to recommend somebody to you, definitely be the behavioral panel. I love them. I learn things from them. Uh, everything they say, uh, I wouldn't say everything, but 98% of the things that they they say and they teach on this channel is in complete harmony with with the things that I talked to you about in the last symptom. Um, but if I were going to recommend one episode of the behavior panel, the behavior, sorry, the, it's called the behavior panel. If I were going to recommend one episode of the behavior panel to my audience, it would be their episode about Jada Pinkett Smith, and it's called What Exactly Is Jada Still Hiding? I think it was published like seven days before I'm recording this. In that episode, which I was just fascinated by, and I thought, man, this could be, this one episode of the Behavior Panel could be a summary of everything we've talked about in the past six years. It contains everything while they do this analysis of Jada Pickett-Smith or Pinkett-Smith or whatever her name is. They analyze and discuss so many insights that we discuss right here in Last Symptom Land. Psychology, emotional health, self-deception, what fake recovery looks like, what authentic recovery looks like instead, people who are controlled by their feelings, living that way, completely unaware of it, People prefer an, an illusion of control. An illusion of control from the perspective of others and refusing to surrender that false sense of control in the interest of ever actually getting healthy for real. I've talked to you in the past about how authentic recovery re involves a great deal of surrender. you got to let go of this illusion that you are in control. If you knew what you were doing you wouldn't be in the situation you're in. Yeah, it's, it's a real problem when the unhealthiest person in the room for miles around demands to be seen as the one who's in control, like this Jada Pinkett Smith. She's always putting off that, that act, right? I, I've got this under control. Let me share some of my wisdom with you. If you've ever seen an interview with her or anything like that, you know that is exactly the stank she's putting off. I, you listen to what I have to tell you. She wants to be seen as the teacher, as the guru. Am I wrong? So it's a real problem when a person like that, who is the most unhealthy in the world, uh, the unhealthiest person in the room, demands to be seen that way, as in control, as the one who has the answers as the one who has the insights and the wisdom. Demands to be seen as the one who has all of the knowledge about the best ways to manage relationships, be healthy, 
yada, yada, yada. One thing I really especially liked about this particular episode of the behavior panel is when they very insightfully point out, very insightfully, I should say, point out, that for all her efforts to project this illusion of being wise and knowing what is required for recovery and health, she lacks an awful lot of self-awareness and knowledge, and she's awfully preoccupied and concerned with artificial appearances and artificial answers. You see, people who seriously understand the elements involved with true recovery and true health, they drop pretenses. They drop all of their pretenses. I remember when I started down the direction of authentic recovery for real. It was there was a massive surrender that happened inside of me. I I dropped all pretenses. What does Jada Smith do instead? She maximizes the pretenses in all of her interviews and everything. She's the one who knows. Let her instruct you is her attitude. Let let her tell you what you don't know. Well, if she knew so much, her life wouldn't be what it is, would it? And I'm not talking about the superficial uh, financial success and those sorts of things. I'm talking about success with inner peace and contentment. Success in her relationships with people, relationships with herself. Healthy attitudes, that type of success. People who are really on the road to recovery surrender to realities. Remember I said it involves a lot of surrendering instead of the denial of realities and the kind of the uh, excuse-making for realities. They surrender to the realities instead and the reality of their own unhealth. They don't insist on maintaining some false appearance of control and wisdom. It becomes obvious when a person is truly on the right path because you will see them looking inward for real. They're not coming up with all these linguistic gymnastics of avoidance, of trying to let you know just how smart they are and how wise they are about these things. They're they not concerned about appearances. It's a surrender. They're not focused more on other people. They're focused on themselves and so on and so forth. So definitely highly recommend that. I'll put a link to the show in the description of this show. I was asked to talk about dissociation. There's not a whole lot really for me to say about it. I mean, I I know what it is. I've experienced it myself. I've seen other people experience it. Um, it's not something that anybody needs to be a slave to. It may be something you're experiencing, have experienced in the past. But I'll tell you what, all healthy people experience dissociation. That might come as a surprise to you. What do I mean that all people, even healthy people, experience dissociation? Well, what do you think daydreaming is? Daydreaming is, is dissociation. You see, 
imagine, for example, like you're in the, the longest, most boring meeting of all time at your job. And your mind starts to wonder, why does that happen? What, what are the, the causes, uh, fundamental causes that create your mind to start wondering and start daydreaming? Or start, or to take you somewhere else, start thinking about, you know, how, other obligations you have during that week. What are you going to do Wednesday night once you get off work? What are your plans for the weekend, you know? And all the while, the speaker is standing there telling you all about emails and graphs and plans for your department moving forward and all those things. And you, you, your brain tunes it out and your brain goes somewhere else. What is that? We call it daydreaming in a healthy sense or let's say in a, not, in, a, in, a sin, in a way that is not related to uh, emotional health or emotional disorders, but it, it's, it's rooted in the same thing. You're a prisoner there, somewhere where you don't want to be, and so you escape within your mind to some other place. It happens uh, without you even trying to do it. That's an everyday example of dissociation. Happens to the best of us. Now, when I was a kid, my father would go on these um, rampages, these emotionally abusive rampages, where, you know, um, some insecurity of his had had salt poured into it. Um, and, you know, he would take off that, he would take that out on me, my brother, it was me a lot, me and my mother. Um, and then in later years, also my, my younger brother began to take a big brunt of it. I don't think my younger sister, who was 10 years younger than me, ever, ever really had to endure that. But because I was the oldest uh, child, uh, I definitely got the brunt of it. My mom got the brunt of it. And again, because my brother was a boy, uh, as he got older, he began, and especially after I moved out, he began to get the brunt of it. But I, I remember um, my father trying to emotionally tear me down, kind of like I imagine that they do in boot camp in the army, where they just want you to feel like trash about yourself because they want to break you down completely so that they can build you back up into what they want you to be. And um, so his rants and his emotional abuse and his verbal abuse would go on all night long, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning was not uncommon. And then I would have school the very next day. And I remember very distinctly that um, emotionally I could, I could handle that for only so long. I could only handle so much of that uh, as a child. You know, I say as a child, but uh, the truth is that in, none of us, anybody can only handle so much of that for so long we have real limits and that's where the the way that we are incredibly made um, not that you know I'm suggesting that God designed us uh, in a way with the purpose of us having to endure such things but it's pretty amazing that those fail safes are kind of there anyway those protections are built into us anyway aren't there aren't they So I would remember that I could only withstand so much of that. And then 
it was like my feelings would shut down. I, I would just get completely numb. And even though I was sitting right there being verbally destroyed, uh, it was like a shell came over me or I went into a shell. That's probably probably a better way to describe it. It was like I went into a shell where I didn't feel anything. And my mind would kind of wonder. I mean, I would hear what he was saying. I might even nod and grunt and reply to it in limited ways. But really, I was someplace else. I was someplace far away from there. I'd be thinking about fishing or how nice it would be out to be out in the woods instead of sitting there on my bed getting verbally and emotionally destroyed like that but uh, that's one thing that I really remember about that was that my feelings would just kind of like go completely numb well what was happening what was happening is that I was escaping a place I didn't want to be even though I was stuck there uh, it reminds me of my one of my favorite books of all time Shantaram that I've talked to you and all about in the past there's a part in Shantaram where the the main character is in a prison in India I think it's India it's either India or Pakistan or something like that but he's chained to a wall and he's getting beaten and he goes away in his mind and he, he finds comfort he realizes that they can beat his body all as much as they want they can even imprison him but he's completely free in his mind um, if you give me a second I'll see if I can find that in the book real quick Shantaram by Gregory David Roberts it's been years since I've read this book um, but some things really stuck with me from reading it well I'm having trouble finding it here in the book but let me see if I can find it on um, let me see here there might be an, another way for me to find it I might be able to go into Goodreads and look at quotes oh yeah here we go It's it actually starts the book goes like this you, you'll enjoy this <clears throat> it took me a long time and most of the world to learn what I know about love and fate and the choices we make but the heart of it came to me in an instant while I was chained to a wall and being tortured I realized somehow through the screaming of my mind that even in that shackled bloody helplessness I was still free free to hate the men who were torturing me or to forgive them it doesn't sound like much I know but in the flinch and bite of the chain when it's all you've got that freedom is a universe of possibility and the choice you make between hating and forgiving can become the story of your life well he's kind of talking about dissociation there <laughs> um, in that trapped in a situation you don't want to be in 
you've still got an awful lot of possibilities happening inside your head, don't you? They can't get you there. It's escaping a place you don't want to be even though you're stuck there. I've seen people dissociate as they're being spoken to. And it's amazing to see. You can actually see it happen in their eyes. They go away. They're there. They're hearing everything. They're experiencing everything. But they're not there. They're somewhere else in their head. And it's kind of related to compartmentalization. Have you heard that? I all, that's another thing that I also did. Um, during my big borderline personality disorder crisis that led to my eventual authentic recovery, uh, I was doing a lot of compartmentalization. When I was home, uh, that was my life. And the other life was just a distant imaginary thing. It carried no weight. It carried no weight in the real world uh, then when I was living the other life the double life the same thing happened my my life at home was the distant fictional thing that carried no weight in the real world it was all just where am I at now uh, uh, what reality am I in right now and I would separate those things in my head so uh, there's nothing a lot there's not a lot to say about dissociation it's not like you're a slave to it it's any more so than you're a slave to um, daydreaming it's something that you do it's something that all of us do but once you realize you're doing it you can snap yourself out of it and another thing to th keep in mind with dissociation if this is something that you're experiencing is that dissociation is not a problem what do I mean by that well we this is the last symptom away right we've talked about this a lot dissociation is a symptom of a problem what are we working on here we're working on the causes of problems so is dissociation something that you have to be overly concerned about not if you're working on the causes of problems the fundamental problems um, because once you address those things and as they begin to get sorted out this dissociation stuff will also um, resolve itself it's not there is no just fixing dissociation on its own dissociation comes about as a result of other more important underlying things we're focused on the more important underlying things and as you address those things, identify them, work them out, trust me that things like dissociation, compartmentalization, all these things will resolve themselves. Th these do not need to be worried about on their own or addressed on their own. There is no addressing these things on their own because they don't just come from nowhere. The things we talk about here are addressing the things that uh, the origins of where these things are born from, right? So, uh, I'd just like to encourage you not to get misdirected worrying about those sorts of things. Don't get misdirected worrying about symptoms of problems. Misdirected. What does that mean? It means instead of your focus being on the thing of uh, value in this process of authentic recovery, you're getting distracted by things that don't matter, really, in the long run. Um, 
what are some other examples of this? Some other examples would be like, for example, I, I, I'm terrible with money. I spend too much money. I, I, I spend compulsively. All right, it's problematic, but it's not the problem. Don't worry about it. Don't get distracted by that and misdirected by that. Let's stay focused on what the real problems are. Because you address the real problems and all of these other things will be resolved in time. So don't lie in bed at night, losing sleep, thinking that you've got 19 million problems. You don't. You have a few problems, and all of the things that you are worrying about as problems are really just symptoms of those problems. But, you know, as long as you're here with me, you're addressing the problems. All of the symptoms will resolve themselves once the fuel has been taken away. And you're going to replace that fuel with different fuel. Fuel that gives birth to good things, healthy things. Inner contentment. Peace with oneself. Peace with others. And these sorts of things. So there's our very brief discussion about dissociation. Don't worry about it. As long as you're doing the work that uh, that we focus upon here. Now let's do some announcements before I forget. First announcement is that Gmail is rejecting my mails. I use a service called Proton Mail. It's among the most secure emails in the entire world based in Switzerland, Switzerland, in fact, encrypted end-to-end, not like Google. Google is a fake type of secure email because the reason why I say that is because Google accesses all of your data. ProtonMail does not have access to my data, so my email is truly secure. People using Gmail is fake secure. Yes, Gmail has an interest in not letting other people get access to your data. But why do you think that Gmail is free? It's free because Gmail, Google, is accessing all of the data in your email and using that data for their own interests. My email doesn't do that. I got kind of off on a rant there. But the reason why I'm saying that is because if it's a real hoot that Gmail, that Google, is rejecting my emails. And I would say that probably what they're doing is rejecting them because it's so secure and they can't mine it for the things that they would like to mine it for. But it's a technical issue. Now, I'm saying this because several people have been emailing me lately and I have not been able to reply to you. And I don't want you to think that it's because um, your emails don't matter to me, that I'm not trying to reply. I am. And it's pretty frustrating for me, to be honest with you, because I draft this entire beautiful email in response to you. I hit reply, and then Google rejects it. So you, you never get to see my re- reply. I'm working on a solution to that, and it's some crazy hoops i got to jump through. I don't, I don't know... It's frustrating. You could probably hear the frustration in my voice. Also, it's late here, and I'm 
I'm sleepy right now. But I just wanted to let you know that. Um, if you're if you're sending me emails from Google from Gmail, Google is not allowing me to reply to you using the most secure email service in the world. That's frustrating, and I got to figure out the technical details of how to get Google to start accepting my emails. But um, you know that's why it's so important for this next announcement. The uh, the last symptom online community, which is on the locals platform. Please join us over there. You can uh, communicate with me there on our group uh, very easily, whether you've got Gmail or not. And um, so that's a workaround in the meantime, while I'm trying to figure out the technical details of this thing, uh, man, I'll tell you what, I'm not a computer expert. And so it's always frustrating for me when I've got things set up just right and everything's going around all peachy cream and then all of a sudden I haven't changed anything but suddenly nothing works and I have to become a computer scientist to figure out how to fix the problem it really burns my bacon puts a hair in my biscuit but uh, we'll get her figured out eventually uh, if you'd like to join our online community like I say, it's on the Locals platform. You go to thelastsymptom.locals.com or you download the Locals.com app from the App Store and you just search for The Last Symptom Within. Exclusive live streams on our group on Mondays. And people have really been enjoying those. We've got a really nice group participates in per, 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 participating in those things. Uh, thelastsymptom.com is my official website. So all the links you need for everything right there at thelastsymptom.com. That's also where you can schedule one-on-one -on -one phone calls with me or one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls with me there. And, of course, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course is available through thelastsymptom.com. That's a, a two-week intensive pre-recorded video course made just for you and those you love. And that's all for announcements. I did a a poll on our group about maters. You guys remember what maters are? Those are tomatoes. And uh, I, I posted this poll. I wanted to see what people would think. I said, what, what do you think? Uh, you do like maters or tomatoes on your sandwiches? Or you do not like maters on your sandwiches? Or option three, you don't eat sandwiches. And so I got all these interesting replies and comments about tomatoes. And then uh, one of our members wrote this. She said, you know, we were talking on the live stream the other day about people trying to shame others. You might wonder how tomatoes or maters figure into this conversation. She says, me not wanting tomatoes on my sandwich was another thing that my ex would ridicule me over. I think part of it was I was a fresh tomato snob. I grew up with homegrown tomatoes. Most sandwiches have subpar tomatoes. Well, I'll just ask you folks who are listening or watching this show. What do you think? You like tomatoes on sandwich sandwiches or not? Join us over there on our group and tell us all about it. Well, this will get us into our discussion about um, 
if you've ever tried to make somebody feel bad because their preferences are different from yours or if you've ever been a the target of something like that I used to be the guy like this member of the last symptom I used to be like her ex-husband uh, my ex-wife Diana boy I, I really put her through things but it was not just my ex-wife Diana I did this to my friends I did this to my brother I did this to, to lots of people it was a way of life for me for all the way up until almost the end of my 30s I really regret that really regret that, that I did that to people um, and when I see it happening now I understand it I understand why it's happening it needs to be fixed I'm not condoning it but I am saying I understand the psychology behind it the psychology is this when you're unhealthy remember what that's rooted in it's rooted in an inappropriate view or attitude about how your worth operates um, and by extension how all people's worth operates but you know and if you'd like a deeper explanation for that you need to go listen to other episodes where I talk about it but the reality is that people who live with emotional disorders don't perceive themselves as having any of their own worth which means really they view themselves as worthless now most people that I would say this to who are just getting along on this journey will say well that doesn't apply to me you're wrong you're wrong because of the law of genuine attitude reflection which says that a person can't naturally behave in a way that contradicts their true underlying attitudes about any given thing and so a person who says no I, I, I like myself but you look at the way that they they're they talk to themselves the way they treat themselves the way they treat other people and you say nope no you don't no you don't because if you did we would be seeing an entirely different attitude we would see an entirely different behaviors we would see entirely different ways of living your life I usually use an example of like dynamite if I'm walking around tossing dynamite around like like it's a toy well then it's impossible that the true attitude that I live with in my life is that dynamite is dangerous that it can kill you it's impossible my natural behaviors with dynamite cannot contradict whatever true attitude about dynamite that I live with so you'd see me tossing dynamite around like it's just nothing like I've got nothing to worry about what could you accurately deduce my underlying attitudes about dynamite is then that it's not dangerous that it can't hurt me right that would be completely a completely reliable conclusion to reach because of the law of genuine attitude reflection which again says that whatever you see in my natural behaviors and uh, cannot uh, contradict whatever the true underlying attitudes I live with are in regard to that thing so 
people with emotional disorders, they don't view themselves as having any value of their own. In other words, they view themselves as worthless. Any sense of value they get to enjoy has to come from outside of themselves in the form of what other people think. So, knowing that, why might unhealthy people, people with emotional disorders, get so sensitive and bent out of shape that other people have preferences that differ from their own? The reason is because they don't view it, they don't view people as people. I did not view people as people. But also, it comes down to, so when I say that, I mean that you don't view somebody as an individual, which necessarily, inherently involves allowing for the fact that they're going to have individual taste preferences and those sorts of things. But another thing is that if I view myself as not having my own worth, in other words, I'm worthless just on my own, and I let's say that I like tomatoes, on a sandwich but you don't I don't just view that as a an individual preference like this is a a mark of your individuality no the way I view it instead is as an accusation an an accusation or a pointing out of just how flawed and broken I am see I like tomatoes but I'm worthless. Uh, you don't like tomatoes, or vice versa. Well, because you don't agree with me, because your preferences aren't exactly what my preferences are, it's like pointing a finger and saying, look, look, because you like tomatoes on your sandwiches or whatever, this is just more proof of how flawed you are. See, if it wasn't a flaw, everybody would agree with you. Everybody else would also like tomatoes on their sandwiches. And this sort of thing plays out in the smallest areas of life. It's um, I used to do it to my ex-wife when it came to music. If I liked a song and she did not like a song or let's say a musician or something, man, I would beat her up over that. I would attack her over that, make her feel, try to make her feel uh, stupid for not liking the song. It was really, I was just attacking her sense of worth. I wanted to break her worth down until she could see just how wrong she was in her preferences. Because if I could do that, then it would validate my preferences, that I am not broken, I am not flawed. Um, I remember doing this in car rides, you know, we'd have long road trips doing this to her could not celebrate her individuality because I was too consumed with the way that her preferences contradicting mine um, revealed my own inherent flawed nature Uh, at the same time you know on the flip side of that not only would I do this to her if she did not like a song or a musician that I liked but I would look at the music that she did like that I did not like and I would do the same thing to her so let's say that she likes a musical group and really likes their music really likes that musician 
but I don't understand why, what's there. Like, why does she like this musician? Why does she like that music? Why well, would attack her just as viciously over that? Terrible thing. Think about all the years that we were married, how while we were together, I never got to know her because my emotional disorder disallowed any genuine interest in her individuality. And tragically, it hasn't been until, you know, we, we were divorced and I haven't seen her in 10, 15 years. I don't, how long has it been? 2011. Uh, 12, 13 years, 13 years that I haven't even seen her. But it's been during that time, these 13 years, that I haven't even seen her or talked to her or had any contact with her that I've really begun to get to know her through memories and through the memories of the things she liked, through memories of the things she didn't like, through memories of what made her her. And so it's only been with emotional health that I've been able to go back and begin to get to know the wife that I lived with for all those years. Really tragic. So you can see that this attack on people's preferences being what they are reveals a lot of interesting things. First of all, it reveals that the person doing that uh, does not live with, uh, does not view people as people, which simply means to view somebody as an individual, which simply means that you're not me. So obviously you're going to have your own preferences, your own tastes, your own opinions about things. If, if you view a person as a person, what that inherently involves is allowing for those things and being okay with them. So the person who is attacking and trying to belittle or make somebody feel bad about themselves because their preferences are different, you know immediately that simply by that, the law of genuine attitude reflection they would not be behaving that way or reacting that way if their attitude were that everybody on earth is an individual. You see what I'm saying? The law of genuine attitude reflection. Because the, the, way, the natural way that they're behaving in that situation cannot contradict what their true underlying attitudes are. What is the only thing that that type of behavior reflects about their true underlying attitudes? the only thing that it can possibly reflect is that they do not look out at the world and view people as people that is to say as individuals otherwise they would be allowing they would allow naturally for those differences in preferences and those sorts of things the other thing is that the person we know that a person who is doing that views himself or herself as worthless so they can say all they want all day long they can deny that they do not have a low opinion of themselves. But it's undeniable that not only do they have a low opinion of themselves, they have zero opinion of themselves, meaning that they don't view themselves as possessing any of their own value. Like that, their existence is does not bring it into the world. So what can we conclude also based on that? That all of their sense of value comes from what other people think of them. And if what people think 
differs from what they think in the form of preferences, like I like apples and you don't like apples, well then that is, a, it's like putting a magnifying glass up to my, f the, uh, my inherent flawed nature, which is painful. Other people, to unhealthy people like this, only exist when we're unhealthy, when we have emo an emotional disorder. Other people around us only exist to validate our own life experience. And if you're not doing that for us, you become worse than just irrelevant or worthless. You become an active, hostile force working against our lives. I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who has an emotional disorder. That's the perspective. Unconscious perspective, but it's the perspective nevertheless. If you're not validating my life experience, if you're not bring, um, giving me worth in the form of what you think, you're not just irrelevant or worthless to me. See, that would be neutral. That'd be neutral. All right, you're not, you're not adding value to my life. Okay. That's that would just be neutral, if I just viewed you as irrelevant. But it's worse than that. There is no middle ground for the person with the emotional disorder. You can't just be irrelevant, because you're either contributing to my sense of value, or you're actively you're a hostile force working against it. And so this person, this member of our group says, you know, I never understood this until you related it to your own actions and the reason behind it all. I was constantly being criticized, but I just didn't understand why. And then she says this, which is interesting. The front that he put up was not one of a person who viewed himself as damaged. See, that's what I'm, that's what I referred to earlier. The person with the emotional disorder is not consciously aware that they view themselves as worthless. They are acting, though. They are putting up this great act that um, they are secure with themselves, that they're strong, that they have no weaknesses, everybody else is stupid, they're not. Uh, but it's so interesting that where that's coming from is the unconscious attitude that they are stupid, they are worthless, they are dumb. Even if that's not the front that they're putting on for the world, they have to put on a front for the world to cover up what they truly think about themselves. And then she says this, and I'm glad she does. She says, your honesty about how you operated many years ago should give others hope that there is a way out of this type of thinking with the proper motivation and genuine motives. That's why we're here. I was once the lost cause. So for all of you out there who identify with these descriptions that I'm given of these types of people, remember that when I talk about describing these types of people, I'm not describing a permanent, unchangeable condition when I say these people. I'm not equating the things they're dealing with with their what they are. Like they're not a different race of people. All people, there's just people. Uh, remember that. 
ladies and gentlemen. The world would like you to categorize people into different categories, like there's these people, and then there's those people, and then there's these other people. For example, there's Jews, there's homosexuals, there's uh, Iranians, there's Americans, there's white people, there's black people, there's Hispanics. But that's a really demented way of looking at the world. It, it's a false way of looking at the world. Because the true way of looking at the world is that there's people. There's just people. There are no different categories of people. Like, you know, like if you're a homosexual, that you are a different type of human being walking about on the face of the earth. That's, that's false. They're simply people dealing with different belief systems, different attitudes, different conditions of health and unhealth. But there are not different categories of people. That's a false that's a false premise, it's a false way of looking at life. I like to, in my work, there's simply healthy people and unhealthy people. There's that's it. That's the only two categories. But that is not describing an inherent condition of those two groups of people. For example, it's not like unhealthy people cannot become healthy people. So it's like if you are unhealthy, that's what you are, and you're forced to be that for the rest of your life. See, that's, that's you viewing the thing in terms of inherent realities. We're not talking about inherent realities here. We're talking about superficial, temporary states just as healthy people can become unhealthy for example if I am to live in an unhealthy way embrace unhealthy thinking embrace unhealthy attitudes then me as a healthy person could become unhealthy see that's not a permanent that's not an inherent permanent condition that's a temporary superficial state Likewise, when I'm referring to unhealthy people and unhealthy types of people and this sort of thing, I'm not describing a permanent inherent condition. I'm, I'm talking about a temporary superficial state that those people are in, which they can escape and they can become healthy and leave that all behind. And then once you're healthy, there's certain maintenance things that you got to do. You can't just live any way you want to live. You have to adhere to certain healthy laws and principles in order to maintain your emotional health, which is what I'm doing every day and working hard on. And, you know, being the host of The Last Symptom certainly has aided me in that. It's been a benefit in my own life, as I hope it's been a benefit in a lot of your all lives as well. So, should you have hope? That people like that, thinking like that, can can escape that with the proper motivation and genuine motives? Absolutely. The person's talking to you right now through your speakers or on your uh, device or on your television. Look at me. Listen to me. I did it. Of course you can have hope. Campfire story. As you all know, last couple years, I've tried to get away from some of the more vulgar terminology that uh, I had used in the past, 
In other words, uh, try not to curse. So it's going to be difficult for me to tell you this story. <laughs> um, but it's too good not to tell. My cousin come over here during the summer, and uh, we were talking, you know, we were talking about the woods and nature and everything like that. And he starts telling me the story about how he got a tick on his D-I-C-K, on his penis. Now, this is very common. Like, if you walk through tall grass, it, it happens, right? You get out of the woods, you, you're in the shower, you start washing up, and, and you look down, and there you go. You got a, a tick in your D-I-C-K, in your penis, on your penis. So you just, you know, you pluck it off, and, and you keep going. So he's telling me the story like it's a big deal, and, and I'm just not getting it. I'm not getting, like, why is he even telling me the story? Like, we grew up together. You know, we've picked a hundred ticks off of ourselves, uh, not not even a hundred, probably thousands, over the years, and he's making a big deal of this one tick, and I, I couldn't understand it. And I said, I, I don't understand why you're telling me the story. Why is it such a big deal that you had a tick on your D I C K? <clears throat> he says, "You're not listening to me. I didn't say a tick on my D I C K. I said a tick in." in my D-I-C-K. I said, whoa, whoa, what? Yes, he had a tick. Get inside, inside his no-no bits and latch onto him inside his no-no bits. Oh my goodness, that changed everything. I said, what did you do? Well, he told me what he did, which was painful enough in itself. What a nightmare. I, I mean, there's men out there I know. I just about run you off the road if you're listening to this in your car. But <laughs> that was my reaction, too. The whole time I thought, yeah, it's just on the outside, which men, you know, that's if you're, if you're from the woods, you know it's just a common thing. Nope. It wasn't on the outside. It was on the inside. Brother, that is something that will give you nightmares if you're a guy. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for this uh, episode. I hope you find it useful. Uh, be sure to go over there to uh, the Behavior panel and check out that show about Jada Pickett-Smith. Man, I'll tell you what. It is chock full of really profound insights about human psychology unhealthy human behaviors and attitudes, uh, relationships, unhealthy people in relationships. And I just think, um, I think I'm going to watch that, that single episode like three or four more times. Uh, there are certain ways that they have of explaining things and, and of um, breaking things down that I think is superior to my way of explaining things and breaking things down. So even, you know, even I am learning a lot from the way that these folks, um, some of the, the ways that these folks have of, of describing and talking about these things. There are a lot of things that I know intimately, but as far as communicating that to others, it's always a little bit of a challenge and uh, they just do a spectacular job of that. So I highly recommend that episode. And no, I'm not getting anything from them for 
sending you over there. I just I think it's something that's beneficial for those who are in my audience. I think you could really benefit from from watching that. So that's all we have for this week, folks. Uh, take a have a night, have yourselves a nice weekend and uh, do something nice for yourselves. I'll see you over there on locals. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.